1: And enjoy. All right, everybody, I got two return guests that I'm very, very stoked to uh, have back on. A third one maybe jump jumping on. We'll see. If not, no big deal. Uh, Mr. Rob Goodwin and the great Rob Wolf as well. Sorry, Rob, uh, you're great as well, but uh,
2: the, I just kind two, of came rolled out. The, the two Robs of the apocalypse.
3: <laughs> well, he's, he's got an extra B in his name, so that makes him better than me j- just by a little. Uh, and I'm, it just
2: shows that I have a stutter. Is really all it is. So robba. Uh,
3: Rob, I got I have to ask, what is your full first name? Is it just Rob or is Robert it or
2: something? Yeah. Yeah. See,
3: Robert. I'm at, see my parents were hippies and I'm actually a Robbie.
2: Oh, okay. So okay. if anybody
3: deserves the extra B, it's actually me. Okay. It's legitimately in my name. So I think we need to, to trade that and uh, and let me take over the double B's.
2: You, you you can do it, you can do it. <laughs>
1: Oh, there might um, have to be like a, a BJJ mat or something to uh, claim the title, there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> then, then I will get my ass beat. Never mind. <laughs> um,
1: and is there? I don't
3: know about all this technology bullshit. Is there a way you can virtually sign this? Uh, <laughs> because I'd really, I, I, I'm, I know all this technology is kind of newfangled shit, but isn't there a way you can kind of?
2: Let I, it, I, I think that uh, uh, you. Buy a digital copy loaded in DocuSign, <laughs> and we could probably do it. Yeah, I'm on it. Yeah, I'm on it. Yeah. And, I've
3: got, yeah. and I've got a worn-out old first edition of the Paleo Solution too. I'm going to need that one signed as well. So <laughs> nice.
1: Oh well, yeah, they have those uh, credit card things that everybody has now, where you know, you swipe a card and then you can sign with your finger or whatever. We can probably set something up like that. I'm sure we got all right. All right. Can do it. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah, my oh. uh, my
3: year is complete.
1: Nice, nice. So I wanted to have these two gentlemen on and our potential third guest. We'll see what happens. And like I said, if not, no big deal. Um, you guys are kind of leaders in the industry. Rob more so, of the bodybuilding and uh, Rob Wolf down there is uh, just a beast of all kinds of natures, you know, author, electrolytes, um, BJJ, whatever have you. Um I wanted to talk a little bit about the health industry's response to COVID and perhaps some ground floor recommendations and you guys' thoughts. So um, let's start off, uh, Rob Wolf, 2020 in March, when this started kind of coming out, what were your thoughts and what were you thinking and kind of what was your reaction when you got the news? We heard that, uh, you know, like what they say, 10% of people were going to be dead
2: Yeah. I mean, so we were, um, we were in Costa Rica at the time doing a jujitsu seminar. And I I remember I had heard about, you know, this, this, uh, SARS, uh, the new SARS virus. Like I had tracked SARS one and MERS, like I'm a, uh, I put maybe like 2% of my CPU cycles annually into existential threats, you know, like EMP pulse, earthquakes, you know, just just kind of thinking through that stuff and I try to have a little bit of resiliency things like we've got a backup generator and you know d- different things like that so I try to allocate some some thoughts to that. So the idea that a, a nasty pandemic could be knocking on our door is always something that, that I, I kind of understand, you know, and and it's one of those, um, potential civilization enders. If you get something that's like, uh, a 30% fatality rate, uh, you, you have enough people in enough important places die that everything fails and then food Fails and distribution fails, and and then everything starts failing. It could be uh, a species ender potentially. So I, I again I, I think about that stuff a little bit. We managed to get home like March third of that year, March third, March fourth, and and then you know everything started locking down. Um, we took it really seriously. We were living in Texas at the time, and um, I knew about SARS one and and MERS. I knew that they had about a 30% infection fatality rate. And, and this isn't like massaging the numbers, you know, oh, maybe it's a case, maybe it's not. There's no asymptomatic bullshit. It's like, if you get it, you get really sick, really sick. And you have a 30% chance of dying. Like that, that just seems to be the, the deal. The main benefit that we had with SARS-1 and MERS is that they're very, very difficult to transmit. And so even if this thing was a 1% infection fatality rate, it, it was looking really, really bad, you know, and particularly very early on, it, it appeared that people with comorbidities, um, high blood sugar, all that type of stuff were, were at particular risk for, for poor outcomes. So my wife and I, I remember, you know, we had in place in a state plan, you know, like if, if. I died, this happened. If she died, that happened. If we both died, this happened. And we called our lawyer and we called our f- friends and family who were in that thing. And we're like, Hey, this looks pretty serious. You know, here's, here's what the details are. If one of us dies, this happens. If both of us dies, this is what happens. So we took it super fucking seriously. Like there, there, you know, we were, we, I was like, okay, here's what happens, we, we, we're out on a family walk, the kids are up in front of us riding their bikes, and my wife and I are having a discussion about if one or both of us dies, and what happens if one of the kids gets it and dies, and what do we do then? So you know, for folks listening, if they have a tendency to wanna to dismiss what I'm saying later because I become very much less you know, con- concerned about things, in the very beginning, I didn't know what I was facing, and I took it very seriously and assumed that our public health officials were, were giving us the goods on like this really is like potentially an existential threat. So that, that's, that's where my headspace was throughout the early part of March. And then as I started watching response occur, then I immediately like the idea that this was an existential threat was not lining up with the way that the response went.
1: Yeah, that seems about in accordance um, to, I think, what everybody kind of felt and did. Um, I initially felt like it was overblown, but I just couldn't tell as to how much. Uh, Rob, what about you, man? You
3: know, I was, uh, for me, it was just more on the surface. Um, I was coming off of a, a competition the previous year that I did really well in. So my mind is on, you know, running my gym. Uh, getting back into contest prep mode, you know, you're setting everything out, you get very narrow focused and all of a sudden this this thing dumped into my lap. And exactly like, like Rob said, from the outset, you know, you take, you take it very seriously and then you do like everybody did. And, you know, unless you're one of these compliant sheep uh, you start, you know, going down rabbit holes and, you know, you're behind the computer for three or four hours and you're asking questions and me being a trainer in the trenches, as well as an online coach, I have several physicians and doctors so I'm I'm speed dialing all these guys and asking all the pertinent questions so yeah at first you know it's it, it was a scary thing and and you're doing your due diligence and your research and but then after a month or so and then you know our local government you know shuts down businesses and shuts down my gym and and then you continued down that path of investigation and critical thinking and then it started to become to me I think it started to become glaringly political To a degree, it was still something you want to take serious, obviously, Um, you know, I I wasn't wearing a tinfoil hat, but at the same time, this seemed, and the further this went on, the more I think this obviously, hindsight with today, but uh, it just seemed very nefarious, you know, I just had this gut feeling that something's amiss here, especially when it became this division with political parties, and uh you you know with the talking heads and a lot of the information that's coming around and you, you cross-reference what you're being spoon-fed to you with some of the things under the scenes and behind the scenes and a lot of things weren't adding up so I kind of got to the point fast forward where you know I'll, I'll admit it we defied the governor's orders and I reopened my gym and I said I'm not playing this game I have to feed my my kids uh You know, I I don't believe this is quite the, you know, pandemic that it's been described as. And I think there's, you know, things at play that we don't know completely, but then we all had our suspicions. And so I went about my business and in my own personal experience, you start to see that, oh, you know, bodies are not piling up in the streets. It's not quite as we're being told and things aren't adding up. And I think the big uh, seminal moment for me is my son, who is 25 years old, um, had a violent seizure the day after he had a pretty minor fender bender car accident. And uh, so he gets rushed to the hospital, obviously, and uh, we go up there and it's one of those situations where nobody can go see him. You know, I was the only one. Uh, they, They picked me to be the one in the room, which I did. And things really started to make my wheels turn when I got up to the COVID wing Of the hospital and i'm not exaggerating when i tell you every nurse and even the physician that was in charge of my son's case every nurse came into the room with their index fingers of their gloves cut off mask around here i asked you know is is the ward is the wing of the hospital filled up and they're like no plenty of beds we don't know what's going on but we can tell you this Something ain't right and it's not what they're telling you. And then the doctor comes in. I'm thinking, okay, I at least have to be compliant with this guy. And the first thing he does is walk in, never puts on a glove, pulls down his mask. I I have mine. He's like, I don't worry about it. And uh, continues to tell me what's going on with my son. And and it's literally that moment was what really set in motion me uh, being a little bit more critical of thought into what's going on. And, you know, obviously we've, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve has turned into uh, a political charade, in my opinion, and uh, and and here we are. I, you know, I think a lot of people are very like-minded when it comes to, uh, to to where we're sitting right now, based on what's happened previously. So,
1: right, right on. Yeah, it, it it really blew my mind how hard they really pushed this, and it was kind of like the more you. Dug underneath the surface, the more and more you found like, well, this doesn't quite line up. This doesn't quite line up. So um, when discussing the numbers of people who were dead, right, you kept hearing that number of, oh, uh, well, hospitals are incentivized to label this death as COVID. Hospitals are incentivized to, you know, find cases of COVID, right? Well, then you start finding out that some of these deaths were from six freaking months ago, six months ago, two weeks ago, some of them might be from today, but they're from all over the place. And, you know, you can't even check the freaking weather on your phone without seeing a freaking death and case number. But um, it was it was so ridiculous because my fiance and I were down in Pittsburgh at uh, Fogo to Chow just enjoying dinner. And then our phone's vibrate. We look at it and it says uh, Pittsburgh is now in a state of emergency. And I remember looking around thinking, huh well, this is kind of funny. It doesn't seem too uh, bad. There's no bodies in the street, you know, we're eating food. And then next thing you know, um, we weren't, you know, they were handing my fiance and I letters to go to work to say, Hey, look, if you get pulled over, show them this. So that way, you know, they know you're going to work and you know, I'm an auto mechanic. I got laid off. Cars are always freaking break. Show me a car that don't break. I got freaking laid off. What the hell? So, um, Rob, did you have any kind of experiences, Rob Wolf? That is, um, that kind of pulled the (laughs) wool, and that kind of pulled the wool off your eyes. Kind of similar to Rob, where you know you kind of realized that we weren't being told the truth.
2: Well, I mean, again, I was operating from the framework that this is an existential threat. You know, which is the way that it was couched. There was the imperial. College of London, you know, modeling numbers that were uh, suggesting maybe something not quite as bad as the 1918 flu pandemic, but, you know, maybe not super far off of that. And um, again, maybe because I'm a little bit of a doomsday bunkery weirdo that that I think about existential threats. So one of these existential threats is like, nuclear war and EMP pulses and stuff like that. And I've always been fascinated with the, um, the development of atomic weapons, like how, what went into that. And there's some really fascinating history there because this was a time in history when the United States was fighting actual Nazis. Like mm-hmm. these were people who were in fact Nazis, a whole nation of, of, you know, who were, working the way across Europe and a bunch of the scientists that we had, we had nicked from these people because we knew that, uh, you know, with Einstein's theory of relativity, some, some really interesting implications came up out of that. We understood radioactivity and then Einstein's theory of relativity had some, uh, uh, in general relativity suggested some interesting things like the potential of an atomic bomb, which could have a yield of, of, tens of thousands, millions of thousands of pounds of TNT. You know, it's not exactly the way the sun works. That's uh, fusion, but this is fission and, and, uh, you know, just incredibly powerful. And we knew for a fact that the Germans were working on an atomic bomb, and we knew that we had to get it first. And nobody, but this is in a time where we didn't even know if an atomic bomb was possible was still theory. But what we ended up doing in the United States with the Manhattan Project is a bunch of these scientists were parceled into different teams. And there were different theories about the way that this thing needed to be approached. Because again, this was a, a science and engineering problem that had never been attempted or successfully completed before. So some people felt like The better fissile material was uranium. Other people felt that plutonium was better. Well, we don't fucking know. So we're going to do both. Some people thought and the way that what was kind of understood was that we, we had to ram all this material together in a synchronized fashion to reach a, a, a critical threshold of a feed forward process of like, uh, uh, one atom splits and it releases energy. And then that causes another atom to split, and you know, a a chain reaction. And so there was a thought about the way that we needed to jam this stuff together. And so there were explosives around like kind of a, a circular container, and maybe that container needed to be perfectly smooth, or maybe it needed to be dimpled like a golf ball to, to focus the charge. Again, nobody knew, but what we for sure did is we divided up all of our resources into different teams. We shared information between these teams, but there was not a one-size-fits-all approach. Okay, where this stuff started not making sense to me is when we were told our only way out of this is a vaccine. And I was like, really? And I had followed this stuff enough because I had followed the vaccine development attempts at SARS-1 and MERS And they they failed horrific. They were never successful. Uh, They were never successful. They killed the animals. They had all kinds of problems with uh, antibody dependent enhancement. And if people are willing to, they're like, well, you know, vaccines were well, you know, we're still forty years or longer downrange from HIV, and we might have an HIV vaccine that that's popping up on the horizon, although we appear to be getting vaccines popping up on the horizon for fucking everything under the sun, which is a whole other interesting deal. But but what was interesting is we had one solution. This solution it was a technology that had never worked in the past and a category of viruses that are known to be Notoriously difficult to develop a vaccine in. There was not a single discussion about repurposed drugs like anti antivirals, nothing like that. And this was before I, I don't even think that like the hydroxychloroquine thing had had popped yet. But it was there was no Manhattan Project looking at what are repurposed drugs that we could use to prevent transmission, to improve treatment, to better treat people? There was nothing around that. And then as the hydroxychloroquine story popped up, the ivermectin story popped up, there was just this this, uh, full court press to suppress all this information. And if all of this stuff is bullshit, then the easiest way to address it being bullshit is that the wealthiest, greatest nation on the country conducts randomized control trials through our Food and Drug Administration. And we have a fucking answer in a couple of months. And we did none of that. It was a complete hodgepodge, horseshit process of like, you know, we had to extrapolate information from this country and that country. And well, maybe, you know, uh, Chile did something in Argentina. It was absolutely ridiculous. So this was where the my big kind of like first, tsunami of incredulity around this occurred because if it's still an existential threat, which is what these folks were saying, then you cannot have a one size fits all solution in a class of technology that has never worked before. And, and just jettison all these other options, like every, you know, all the off-label drug options. And then as these, these, um, uh, these off-label drug options started popping up, hydroxychloroquine, uh, fluvoxamine, um, ivermectin, they were attacked wholesale. And, and instead, whereas it should have been like, well, we don't have data on that, but if there's some sense that this may be therapeutic, then we're gonna run studies on this because by God, we're gonna have every goddamn tool we can to bring to bear on this. And We didn't do any of that. And so that was where I shifted from Oh, this this is like really serious to we're being fucked with, like we're overtly being fucked with. But it was so early in this thing that I had to be really careful because it like people were still really in in the grip of terror. And it, it was very early, but it, that was so completely inconsistent to me. It, it was I I I can't I fail for even a an appropriate analogy. It was like um, you know, you're 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 Planning for uh a winter that's gonna last two years. And you're like, ah, all I want is like some popcorn to eat, you know, and I'll, I'll have a cup. It's like you would plan a million different contingencies, like a, a, you know, for an existential threat. And there was no contingency planning. And then, you know, very quick on the heels of that, it became obvious that there seemed to be some inside baseball about an understanding of both the severity of the actual virus. And also this really fascinating insight about uh, what would go into like, uh, uh, you know, the mRNA technology to, the, to code for the spike protein, like that happened shockingly quickly. And they, they were like, oh, we, we managed to do it in a couple hours. That shit doesn't happen in a couple hours. There was some sort of inside baseball on that. And if it could happen in a couple of hours, then we could and should have been pivoting every time there was a variant in a matter of two days to spin up an entirely different class of vaccines. And we've never done that. The only time that we've ever done that in this process is when Omicron occurred. And Omicron looks like it could be lab origin, like modified lab origin as well, because it is so genetically different than everything else that has happened that people looked at it and they're like, this isn't consistent with general evolutionary trends. This thing looks like it was completely engineered. So I know I'm just blabbering on like an idiot, but that that's where that stuff changed for me. And then, you, you know, the, the other things of, um, you know, uh, I, 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 crashed my bike and went to the hospital and it was a COVID deal, you know, it, it, like start hearing stuff like that. Um, there's been like double counting in the, 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 the way that this thing is played out is that the metric keeping one is now worthless. Like we literally can't make any informed decisions around the metrics because it's absolute garbage, which is a crime against humanity. As a as a start, like I can't even articulate properly the anger I have on that. Like we have to rely on Israel and the UK in different places, and even in Scotland they just scuttled a bunch of their their uh, COVID tracking like today because it's painting too negative of a picture with the 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 history that they've been playing out on this. But this is. All of that stuff is super important, but but for me it started getting out in the weeds. It's like again, existential threat. If that's legit, then you approach it in a very specific way. and none of it was approached as an existential threat. It was approached as, oh, we know exactly what is going on here and we're and we're approaching this like we we have full understanding around what the real threat profile is and and it's not remotely what it, what we're claiming it is. And here's all this other shit that we're going to do, including closing down the economy, incentivizing people to stay home from work and, you know, all the rest of this stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It it was very, very strange that um, they were so ready to throw out these huge bills and pay absolutely everybody ridiculous amounts of money to stay home. And you know, there's a check with everybody's name on it. Here you go. Stay home. Be quiet. Shut up. You know, don't do anything to take care of your health. Um, Rob Goodwin. You got anything to add on that?
3: Well, apart from agreeing with everything he said, he got a little <laughs> over my head with all the nuclear bomb stuff. But uh I learned something. Today. Uh, <laughs> but uh you know obviously when you start looking at this on the surface Uh, Well, first of all, if you want to take a population, if this has anything to do with a grand experiment towards, you know, dividing us or population control or all of these conspiracies or critical thoughts that are, you know, developing on the landscape, you know, it's like I tell my clients, me being who I am and what I do, and I I would imagine Rob would agree, since he's even on a deeper level with that, if, if you want to ensure that you bring down a population to a degree, And you want to make them even more susceptible to something, even that may have even been manufactured or weaponized. You know, how would you do that? Well, you'd want to convince people, really in a political division spectrum, that we want to get you out of sunlight. We want to get you under fluorescent light. We want you to hide indoors all day. We want you to be stressed to the gills. Uh, We're going to get fat. you're going to get fat, you're going to suffer some metabolic distress, Uh, your vitamin D levels, if they're not already shit, they're going to tank even further. And more metabolic damage is going to occur. And it's just going to be, you know, a springboard to whether if you do get the virus, it's just going to uh, compound based on the situation that they put you in. And then you have the political division element, which is what really irritated me with it. And The thing of it is is you have, if it is really a left and a right thing, and if there really is some sort of a deep state control at play here, the way it was brought out was kind of brilliant at first, but now it seems like, you know, we're a little smarter than they thought we were, and it's starting, you know, the bubble is bursting on the whole thing, but now you still get the group of people who, you know, sadly uh, are, are so politically devout And not only are they going to believe everything CNN tells them and what the administration tells them, but then you've got this group of individuals, at least based on what I've seen, that are sort of broken and damaged already. And they're looking for something to champion. They're looking for a cause to get behind. Mm -hmm. They're looking for something that they can... uh, You know that i that they can identify with it almost becomes their identity. You see it now with people saying, "Well, I don't care if they did stop the mandate. I'm going to continue to wear my mask." And you know, I would get three more boosters, even though millions of people are getting the virus uh, who have been vaccinated and double boosted and masked up and wearing shields and you know hiding in a freaking bunker all day. So you know, that's when it really that's when I kind of tapped out. I said, "This this is a nefarious political event," and You know, unfortunately, where we are right now, this is, I think, one of the first times where you truly, as an individual, have to admit, even though it doesn't sound happy, feely, shiny, happy rainbows and unicorns, you have to almost pick a side. You know, there's a line drawn and you have to figure out whether you want to stay on, you know, on your side of it or if you want to step over to the other side. And are you going to speak out against some of this stuff and let your voice be heard? And some people are terrified to do that with with good reason. And, you know, anytime you restrict somebody's ability to produce an income and bribe them with uh, getting, uh, with all the things that Rob eloquently talked about with the flaws with this jab, you know, show me your papers. I mean, are are we really, have we really circled back to that and nobody's noticing? So, you know, I I went from being very libertarian and I no longer really classify myself as anything right now, but because of this you know, place in this history that we're at, I now just consider myself a freedom advocate. That That's where I'm at. I'm a freedom advocate. And that that's, that's the soapbox that I'm going to stand on. And that's the torch I'm going to carry. And, uh, it, you know, at this point, it's, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not going to let my children think that I didn't let my voice be heard. And at this point, I, I've chosen a side. And yes, people are still getting sick. And, and I feel for these people. And I hate that. And I want to do everything I can to help them, you know, have lessened symptoms. But, you know, back to what we do. I mean, we're in the health and fitness business. And when you, you know, anecdotally or right in front of you, based on the people that you interact with, you see people with more metabolic distress, you know, bedridden for two weeks and, you know, near death. And then you see the people that exercise, that get out in the sun, that have vitamin D, you know, adequate vitamin D levels that really take care of themselves. It's a fucking weekend of the sniffles. And that's glaring. And, you know, obviously there's a few outliers there, but, uh, you know, I, kind of lean on the side of, you know, I, I think this is a weaponized thing and whether this was meant to be, you know, the, the, the final thing, or if this is just a test run to see what people will handle. I don't know. I'm not qualified to speculate on that, but, uh, Again, I'm gonna use the word nefarious. I think there's something very nefarious going on here. And uh, I tread lightly with everything that I read and everything that I see. And I'm also at the same time, you know, 100% going to live my life the way I want to live it. And I will resist any intervention from any government entities that wanna point a finger at me and, and tell me that I'm gonna to have to show my papers to feed my children. It's just not going to happen. And I will proudly proclaim that. Uh, once again, that you can still have compassion You can still not be completely on the tinfoil hat deep end, but you can use some rational thought and, you know, think logically and kind of wade through this a little bit and make some informed decisions and act accordingly. And, you know, and I think it was actually on, on Rob, your podcast, your wife was even, uh, I'm going to paraphrase terribly here. This is a couple months ago where she was talking about that, that thing that I sort of discussed where people are clinging to being the you know the branch covidians out there the, the, oh, the yeah. mass
2: formation psychosis yeah yes, and yes, I mean I you, you 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 nailed it that uh, uh folks who don't have a sense of belonging and purpose uh, they were given belonging and purpose with covid you know right. there was this thing to fight against and the scary thing about that is the next thing to to fight against and feel rallied for is uh climate change. Yes. And it, it, it's just like... You beat
1: me it. to that one. Yeah, yeah. well, it's... <laughs> Rob, do you got anything to finish up there? Good one.
3: Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think Rob nailed it with the you know marching towards climate change. Not, now you're seeing with the Canadian truckers... Uh, when you're seeing people... Exactly. You're seeing people stand up and now you were on the eve of midterm elections. Now you're starting to see a lot of backpedaling and the mandates are dropping, and and these things are starting to unravel, and that's because they're seeing flailing poll numbers, so now they're going to take a position of, okay, we're moving on for this. We, the overlords, you know, we are the the lords, you are the serfs, we proclaim you worthy to remove your mask, and yes, you can go back to work now, but uh, because we cured it, we fixed it, it's because of all those out there that social distance and walk the right way down the Walmart aisle, well done, we led the charge and now they're gonna move on to the climate change issue.
1: Well, my problem with this whole midterm talk is that you will have a lot of people who are complicit in making sure lockdowns happen, right? Because yes, there's absolutely a divide, but there are so many enablers and there's very, very few who stood up and said no, right? Ron DeSantis, Kristen Nome few select others that kind of stood up and said no the problem that we have right now is that the ones who were 100 for it right now if they're backpedaling um you know you can obviously pick that as fake but the people who were just kind of silent um you know how that bible verse goes if you're neither hot nor cold i'll spit you out of my mouth you're gonna have some people who proclaim to be against it the entire time and I feel like there's kind of blood in the water there if you get what I'm saying like these people are going to use this as the gift that keeps on giving and everybody's been doing that to a degree because once again you could say well I don't want to open today because of COVID people aren't working because of COVID COVID shut this down COVID did that well now there's certain governors that can say hey we shut down because of COVID and we eradicated COVID. And then you're going to have other governors who, you know, weren't, who were very complicit that are going to say, um, oh no, we were against this the whole time. But then you look and, you know, they had a year and a half, two years of mask mandates. And then they're saying, show your papers. Um, It's very frightening to kind of see how this is playing out. And especially when you look at this, the vaccination data in like Israel where, in early January, they were at record high cases with about 80% of the population vaccinated. Um, Rob Wolf, what are some of your thoughts on some of that science was coming out of Israel and um, the efficacy of vaccines?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's um, – I don't want to tackle this. Um,
1: <laughs> this is probably going to get pulled, so don't
2: worry. <laughs> no, it, it, yeah, yeah. It. it uh, <laughs> we're already you know, canceled. I, I, I I had some reservations early about the vaccines because they're new, they're novel, but, um, that was honestly more of just kind of a precautionary principle. I did in my wildest dreams think that they would be as bad as what they appear to actually be. Like I, I just not in a million years, I was just saying, well, you know, I would like to have some time because that that's just a reasonable thing to say. And then, uh, Pretty early on, it, it wasn't Pierre Corey. It was uh, uh, Gert Van Den Bosch and some other folks started talking about some of these well understood characteristics that happen in vaccines and immunology, like uh, antibody antibody dependent enhancement, where the the um, the first round of vaccination or or it, it, exposure to a, a a virus. It can happen with viral exposure too it kind of tunes the immune system in such a way that when you get exposed to a later variant, that it actually provides better access for that variant into the body and into cells. And that this could be really bad. There's a, uh, there's a disease in chicken called uh, Merrick's disease, where if you vaccinate a, a group of chickens, um, the unvaccinated group has a 100% fatality rate it, uh, due to this Merrick's disease, which is this antibody dependent enhancement. So you have to vaccinate all of them and it, it, it's kind of a, a gnarly thing. There's another thing called uh, original antigenic sin, which is where the, the immune system becomes trained for a very specific flavor of a, a, uh, an organism or a disease. And th- this is well understood in like, uh, influenza vaccines and, and whatnot. And part of the reason why influenza vaccines are really not that helpful because they change the, the genetic evolution is, is, uh, remarkably quick. Whereas things like, uh, measles mumps, rubella, um, smallpox, like they're, they're, they're pretty, pretty stable. And so, um, you, you don't get the same type of stuff, but, Early on, there was the potential suggested and, and, and from great, a great position of, of, again, just cautionary tale of we might have some serious problems that, that the vaccination process may actually make the disease worse and could increase susceptibility. And there was no discussion about that. Like it, 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 we would, whereas it could have been even it, it, you know, kind of quietly. It's like, well, this has occurred elsewhere, and we will monitor that again. Just like reasonable public health, you know, we're, we're going to keep our eyes open for this. You, you've raised a, a a reasonable question. Nobody discussed any of that. And when Omicron hit Israel, it was crystal clear that the the folks who had been like triple jabbed and then booted, like the more that they had been inoculated, the greater, it was like a, a gravitational pull towards Omicron being even more infectious than in those people. And the vaccines, although we were sold initially that they were going to be sterilizing, even though the, the initial research data did not support that they would be sterilizing at all. We were still told at a, you know, from the White House down to local public health level that you get your life back when you get vaccinated because then you won't be able to infect other people. Mm-hmm. That was a complete lie. And it, 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 we knew in the beginning that that was highly unlikely and then the data did not support it and, and on and on. So uh, again, I'm, I'm rambling like an idiot, but um, there were really concerning features. So that, like had this turned into something like Merrick's disease, it, 50% of the fucking population could have died from this. Like, like, and in quick order and thank God that did, I I mean, some days I'm kind of like, thank God that didn't happen. And some days I'm like, maybe maybe it should have, you know, (laughs) even though I would have probably died and some of my kids would have probably died, or maybe all of us would have died. But there are enough people out there that are big enough assholes about this thing. And so incapable of making, like, we literally whistled past a graveyard on this thing. Like this could have been horrific inoculating a population mid pandemic w- with something that is, is as transmissible as smallpox. Like this could have been an absolute disaster. And there were people who are totally credible who raised this alarm and it didn't turn out to be as bad as what it could have been. But like the, the, the fact that it, it does it, it's crystal clear that first inoculation increases your likelihood of catching COVID as a beginner, like it, you know, and then once you get past second inoculation, then there appears to be some attenuation in catching COVID, or at least that was within the Delta variant. All bets seem to be off now with Omicron, and I don't even know if we're, we're on to, you know, a later variant. But w- the fact that like evolutionary biology was not part of the, the game theory of how we're going to address this thing. That this thing will change, it will evolve. And what are we going to do to keep an eye on it and adjust to that? It was nowhere in the story. Right. And I, I I think that we um currently I think we kind of whistled past the graveyard as far as there being a really gnarly downside directly to the, the the vaccine viral interaction. But I tell you what, I think that we are only at the very, very beginning of all the uh the vaccine side effects. And I think that the Vaccine side effects and the um, like that I just as it stands right now, the excess death numbers of uh, from last year are well above a million above the normal of people dying from stuff that they don't even know exactly how or why they're dying from it. And a good number of the people that are dying are young, like within COVID, the median age of death was 80. And no, we don't want old people to die, but these people are already. past life expectancy, the people who are dying, who appear to be potentially having problems from the vaccine are like 18 to 40. These are prime age people. We are losing hundreds of thousands of years of productive life out of the people that are being lost due to potential vaccine complications Mm -hmm. versus people who are already at end of life. And they're so frail that like a bad wind could have killed them at that point.
1: All right. Um, Rob Goodwin, you got anything to add to that?
3: You know, just just to add, you know, I like to have things explained to me like I'm, I'm a five year old. Just explain it to me in simple terms. And when you have arguably the most corrupt people on the planet, government operating within some of the most corrupt organizations on earth, pharmaceutical industry, you know, factory medicine, and you know, us in the, in the health and fitness realm, you know, we can say, oh, we were lied to about, you know, vegetable, vegetable oil. We were, you know, we were lied to about seed oils. We were lied to about, you know, the relationship of saturated fat and heart disease. we were lied to about this. We're lied to about that. And it's because the corrupt, you know, powers that be spoon fed us this to pad their wallets. And we reject that. And we're causing a shift in the industry and we're taking a stand and changing things and uniting together to have that push. Yet some of these same people, when it comes to, you know, the, the, the virus and the jab, oh, I'll just take it as gospel, and that's never made any sense to me. And then Rob was talking about, you know, the 80-year-olds, which is tragic and all that, but then, you know, it, something is amiss, and it always has been, and now we're getting down to, you know, wanting to, to, to jab, you know, five-year-olds. You know, you, you're talking about a push to where, when is the last time the pharma- pharmaceutical industry gave something away for free. You know, is it really about our health, or is it about something, you know, you know, far more, you know, destructive that, that, that they have in the works. When you're talking about, you know, pushing towards vaccinating five-year-olds, now these are the people in the population who, you know, the odds of them dying of COVID would be about the same as being eaten by a shark while being struck by lightning, yet they want to go push this on these kids. Everything that keeps coming down the pipeline, It just keeps adding to this minutia of sludge and bullshit. And now the collective is, I think, apparent. And now you just have the the people that are believing that are involved in this cult and believing it. But I think the separation is starting to occur. And, And thank God, I think I think you're starting to see some movement. But at the same time, is this just setting us up for something more? you know, sinister on the horizon. And is this just a big experiment to see how the human population is going to react? I don't know. Uh, and, and it's terrifying.
1: It absolutely is. And it, it sincerely surprises me how obedient Americans were as the group of people were supposed to be loud, rowdy, proud, and um, you know, ready to fight for our freedoms. How docile our populace have proven had sincerely surprised me. Um, I just wanted to read a status I posted, and this was actually sent to me through Chris Cresser's newsletter, and I kind of pieced this together. Um, I said, I sincerely do not care if anyone gets vaccinated by their own free will, but as the data comes out, it is at this point abundantly clear that vaccinating children is harmful. Boys in the age ranges of 12 to 15 are four to six times more likely to suffer from myocarditis post-vaccination than from just getting COVID by itself. 86% of those cases result in hospitalization, according to No Nobarda et al., which will be linked below. Men and women ages 18 to 29 have a 1 in 31,250 risk of myocarditis post-vaccination, according to the CDC. So this is, you know, their own data. That may sound insignificant, but there were about 9 million cases of COVID in that age range. Only 4,781 died. That's about a half of one-tenth of 1% of all cases. 0.05%. I'm not a doctor, but no one should be forced to be vaccinated, especially when the data isn't looking good in younger people. I just want to make sure I got that out there because we were kind of on that subject. But um, you know, my fiance and I both had this and it was a breeze. All the younger people I know that had it kind of a breeze for and you know I'm not gonna sit here and promote doom and gloom about the vaccine. I'm not saying that either you guys are, but we need to seriously analyze this in a you know under a microscope and make sure that we're not you know introducing things into people's bodies that may do them long-term harm because we don't know the long-term consequences of this and and the
3: the talking point that you're seeing now and it's so obvious is you know, CNN, the, the major news channels, uh, all of these pundits, they keep looking at the trucker situation in Canada and everybody who is, you know is anti-forced inoculation. And they're saying, look at all of these anti-vaxxers okay. gathering en masse. And I keep saying to myself, I actually sadly had to sit through seven minutes of The View. And uh, they were talking about the, um, the March on Washington, D.C. that happened, I guess, about a month ago or a few weeks back. And they panned to the, to the crowd of people. Of course, they uh, you know, improperly said that it was, the numbers were smaller than they actually were. But they kept saying over and over again, like they're drilling it down your throat, look at all these anti-vaxxers. This is an anti-vaxxing this. Look at the anti-vaxxers. This anti-vaxxer said that. And my initial thought was, these aren't anti-vaxxers necessarily. They're anti-mandate. That's all this is these people are anti anti-forced inoculation. They're they're pro freedom, anti mandate. You know, I'm sure tons of these people are open to the possibility of taking a vaccination to, to something that may be truly harmful or or they're at risk for. But, you know, it's it's it, the talking points still remain and I can't believe they're still clinging to this bullshit and trying to paint us all out like this fringe group of, you know, anti medicine, anti-logic, anti-vax, when we're just anti-mandate and we're pro-freedom, pro-choice, which is the way it should be.
2: Well, I think that from CDC to like DHS, Department of Homeland Security, the the term anti-vaxxer now encompasses... Not only people who are have not been vaccinated and are not comfortable with the mandates getting forced upon everybody includes people who are vaccinated and it, it says this explicitly. Even those who are vaccinated but are not supportive of universal vaccinations are anti-vax, and that so is I mean, insanity. It, it, that is insanity. It, 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 it's classic Orwellian newspeak. That um, uh, this is where uh, the, the the whole way, and I mean, this has been going on for a while. Like, it, it, I I feel like there's been this attempt at provoking a violent response, and and uh, it's been a long time since I was in grade school. But like, I knew if somebody went up and started flicking my ear, I was probably better off just spinning and punching them in the face because <laughs> it's like, okay, I know what what's going on here. Like, this person's trying to provoke a response, and I might as well just re, you know respond immediately. But if you create a scenario in which um any dissenting voice is a a deplorable you're almost guaranteeing some sort of a a violent response because you provide no other no other options no no safety nets no no ability to save face no no nothing and so on the one hand it either speaks to a a degree of hubris and ignorance that's really stunning you know, just like a, not understanding human nature or it's like, well, fuck those assholes. We really do want a violent response because then we can paint them as right. violent extremists and, and you know, the the, the whole deal. So, so this
1: was what was kind of funny about January 6th is that uh, to, to preface this, I think they're idiots for going to the Capitol, but. A certain group of people will tell you that states and country lines are just arbitrary lines that anybody should be able to cross. But apparently, if you go into what I would call the den of criminals, because these people have voted for atrocities in foreign countries, and they threw you out of your job and told your children that they're threats to their grandparents just for breathing the air. These people who were angry about the outcome of an election that couldn't be questioned, They go to where these people reside and they were called violent extremists and they're thrown in solitary confinement and we scratch our heads and wonder why people are so angry. But you don't bother to look at the entire year where you were told you're not you're not an essential worker. Um, You can't go to your job unless you take this, you know, unless you join the apartheid state and take a forced vaccination and show your card to go get groceries. Um, It it never dawned on them to ask, why are these people so angry? And what you were speaking to there is exactly that, is that when you tell people, hey, you can't question this, you have to do this, and you leave them no other option, then either it's going to be compliance or they're going to fight. And I think that was a little bit of that bubble bursting where some of the air was coming out in the form of, hey, let's go mess some stuff up. Let's go shake the cage. Now, obviously, only one person died unfortunate but you know it was only one person but imagine what happens if they try to sustain that kind of path and you keep calling people who are dissenting voices unreasonable and terrorists and all these pejoratives just think well, about the trajectory of that well the mistake
3: they made is apparently you have to burn down the auto zone <laughs> throw bricks through the target window and uh torture town that if it's how, pri- yeah if it's private property you- protest That's how it's done. And this blatant uh, march toward Marxism and socialism, it's called democratic socialism now. I mean, if you're not, I mean, the powers that be at large are making a push toward that. And, you know, we are the people standing in the way. And like I said before, we're the freedom advocates and we'd better be ready to stand our ground and do whatever's necessary peacefully as long as possible to inspire change. And and I I think the midterms are going to be interesting. Again, in many ways, I think uh, both parties are just two wings on the same bird, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if some of this march towards socialism and uh, the Lord surf mentality that the government has over us right now gets quelled to some degree.
1: Mm Rob Wolf?
2: Oh, I, I don't know that I've got a, a ton to add to that. I mean, it's, um, it's interesting that more, so I, I guess a little bit like it was maybe six months ago, eight months ago that I I said to my wife, uh, I said, you know, somebody needs to do, and I, I I'm not going to do it, but like that, uh, the, the Buddhist monk that protested the, uh, the Vietnam war and like sat down and self-immolated, you know, set himself on fire and meditated until he, until he died. I'm like, we need something like that. That's going to shock people and, and wake them up. And it needs to be this completely selfless act and nonviolent. Um, they're trying to provoke a violent response. And my wife rightly, because she's smarter than I am, she said the media won't cover it. Nobody will care. It'll be a wasted gesture. But at the end of the day, this trucker, thing is that it is this self lit. So I was kind of like, okay, I was on the right path. Like this is the way through this thing. Um, and now that, you know, Trudeau has enacted like even more egregious, like, uh, blocking of fund transfer, there's a pretty good chance people are going to starve or potentially, you know, freeze to death there. Like there's probably going to be some amount of death that occurs as a consequence of them ratcheting down on this and and it's horrible and it's ironic that um all of this shit is supposed to be for like our health and and protecting and saving people and then there's you know and literally the only thing that needs to happen is is um okay we're gonna roll back mandates like we would really like everybody to to get this we will make it as in you know, as encouraged as as possible, as easy as possible, we'll come to your house, whatever. Awesome, make it easy for people, but just don't make it mandatory. You know, and right. and don't and don't start intervening between my ability to make a living or go shopping or or you know whatever. And and that's literally all that's that's being asked of these folks. But it's um, I didn't expect it to happen in Canada. It's it's fascinating, yeah. and I don't know if it's just because. Uh, you know Jordan Peterson had a, a guy on, or not Jordan Peterson, but uh, Brett Weinstein had a, a um, Australian senator on, and they were talking about the different formation of Australia, New Zealand, Canada versus the United States. The United States fought for its independence. And these other British Commonwealth entities, like they, they were basically subjects of the crown and then you know eventually kind of had some, enhanced degree of autonomy, but there's still, you know, quite a, quite a bit of, uh, reciprocity there, but you have a much more, um, uniform, homogenized, pacified, and compliant population within these, these areas. Like the United States is enormous by comparison with regards to population. It is totally different when you get to like, uh, ethnic and, and, you know, cultural diversity and whatnot, and that, that changes all kinds of stuff. But it was, um, it was interesting that the, the Australian guy pointed out that the fact that we fought for our independence, that that was a major formative factor in our, our constitutional documents and the, the, the things that, that, you know, made us who we are, and those things just don't exist in, in Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, and it's certainly not in the same way. And, um, you know, just the, uh, the inability to really effectively own firearms, it, I think is a big deal like that, that, allowed this thing to just go from zero to a hundred so much quicker, you know, where, where's like a legitimately armed populace, like there would be some real, real challenges with that good or bad. I, I, I think that that's good that you've, you've got that ability to push back. Like a local police force is going to really think twice about going and doing something like that. And I yeah. think that that's good, but um, just the, the soft leaning towards hard totalitarianism happened fast, like so fast. And when these folks finally stood up in mass now, it, like people have pointed out, like if Trump had blocked the, the GoFundMe and the bank accounts of all the BLM <laughs> protesters, yep. I would have been horrified. Yeah, I absolutely. would have been at it. And I think that like, it, uh, I am complete. It, it, you have a right to assemble the first brick that goes through a window. The whole crowd gets rubber bullets and water guns and like, you're done. You fucking go home now. You don't yep. break public and private property. Done. You know, and and that's it. It's, it, uh, whether it was the, the, uh, the, you know, the, um, the DC deal or, or downtown Portland, like you don't break shit when you're, when you're protesting right. uh, that is a riot. We don't uh, accommodate riots, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know if I'm contributing anything of value at, at this point, but, um, that went so quick and, and the, the, uh, this is kind of you know this is that that now like the these truckers are in a situation of facing a uh, a social credit score because sure. they're they're exposed you know and and the locking down of their bank accounts and the curtailment of funds and a second class citizen status you know immediately um i just can't believe that it happened so fast and so quickly and really what i'm I'm finding amazing is that there are absolutely people that believe that that whole mass of folks are legitimate, like white supremacists, that they are there to perpetuate the superiority of the Aryan race, a la Adolf Hitler, and that that is just what they believe. And I, I just am so, and I don't really know what to do about that because it goes back to this mass formation psychosis stuff. And there's like 30 percent of the population that really subscribes to those sorts of things. And they're so invested in it that there doesn't appear to be any getting them back. Like, I don't even think if their own team, like if Justin Trudeau sat down and was like, Hey, um, I've been sucking Klaus Schwab's cock and I really enjoy it. And that's cool because don't ask, don't tell, I, I don't care. But like, I'm, I'm literally in bed with Klaus Schwab and I've been groomed since day one and this and that and the other. And all oh, of this has Stockholm. been a sham and you guys can go home. They wouldn't go home. You know, they, 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 would, they would just, well, there's gotta be said, okay, Justin Trudeau is compromised. So who's the next person who's going to perpetuate the lie? You
1: know, um, it, it kind of goes to, um, if you guys ever read the book, Ordinary Men, Um, It was about the police battalion um, in Nazi Germany, and it explains how all this totalitarian stuff kind of starts from the bottom up. It's never from the top down, right? So people at the local level have to enforce this stuff. They have to believe it. Mm -hmm. And it's a process of we push you a little bit further than where you once were. And you know, we push you three inches back and you take a one inch step forward and say, no, I'm not comfortable, but you keep getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And then eventually you're at the point where you are taking naked pregnant women out into the fields and shooting them in the back of the head. And I'm, I'm not saying that we're quite there yet, but um, when you observe the patterns and understand how, the, how these things are enforced, you can kind of see that we're moving in a direction that's similar to that using the same tactics, because what happens when you go into the store, you know, early on and you weren't wearing a mask, Hey, put on a mask. And then, you know, you didn't want to, but somebody tells you to do it and you comply. And then, next thing you know, you know, it's, Hey, well, where are your papers? Where's your vaccine? Where's this? Where's that? Um, Rob Goodwin, anything to add? Well, I, I just think
3: to add on to that when you've got, well, first of all, I think obviously we've been to the point and now we're definitely here where this has absolutely nothing to do with health
1: Mm -hmm.
3: and you either see that or you don't. And I think you're either awake to this bullshit or you're not, but then it goes back sort of Rob's point about the truckers and, you know, between every blade of grass, here we are. Now it's time to rear our heads from behind the greenery and make ourselves known. And, you know, one ant can't do much, but, you know, thousands together can, move hundreds of pounds. So in our own little way, you know, we all need to contribute and do our part. You know, months ago in 2020, when the lockdowns occurred and they said, you can't run your business and support your family. After 30 days of that, I said, fuck you. I'm done with you. I came back to my gym, defied the order, turned on the lights, opened the door. True story. It was about a week or two a local you know, police department deputy shows up into my door. Luckily, he thinks it's as much bullshit as most people did around here. And he said, listen, I got a complaint that uh, you're running your business illegally and defying the, 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 the state order by the governor. And I said, here's my official statement. Yes, I'm running my business. I do not require a mask. If you would prefer to wear one, that's fine. If you have invested in my business and because you feel uncomfortable with that you know, stand, that policy, I will regla- gladly refund your money. But I am in no way going to step down and I'm not going to close my business and I'm going to continue to operate. And if you would like to cuff me and take me downtown, then I respect that you're just doing your job and you can do so. But I will not comply. Now, that was a little guy making one stand doing just a little bit. But if we unite together, a la truckers, and uh, push back, then the tide is going to turn and it it already is. But, and sadly, though, back to the point we've been making throughout this entire endeavor, you know, you've got that psychosis and you've got that political division, and it's always going to be there. So, you know, my original point was it's time to take a side and uh, as eloquently and as intelligently as you can fight against this tyrannical bullshit because uh, we're at a critical point in our nation's history and in our world history. And it must be done.
1: Absolutely. Well, I normally ask two questions before we get rock and roll in here, but I got three. Um, I'll let Rob Wolf answer his Rob Goodwin. You can do it after him. And then the next question, we'll kind of rock and roll out of here. Um, Rob Wolf, what the hell is the call to action, brother? What are we going to do? Uh,
2: two Two thoughts. I mean, one, one thing Rob Goodwin just alluded to it, like we really have to push back at the local level in, in every way, shape we, we can, because it seems overwhelming because it's like, oh, fuck, it's the evening news and it's the White House and all the rest of that stuff. But all of this stuff happens at, at the local level. And what have libertarians been saying forever? We need to do all this shit at the local level. And we, we all lost our heads and we, we started looking, you know, at Ron DeSantis and everything. And, and, you know, good people doing good things. That's great. We need to acknowledge them. But at the end of the day, this is our school board. This is our, our city mm-hmm. council that we need to go lay some lumber on them. Uh, the, the piece that I think supports that, I had a, a member of my community, the Healthy Rebellion, reach out to me. And there's this whole area of common law that I don't really understand, but it, these are the people and they tend to be kind of libertarian where they're like, hey, I don't need to pay property taxes because the codes actually say A, B, C, D. And what they basically do is they grind uh, uh, politicians down because they'll sue them, they go to court. and And basically there's so much of our lives that are dictated to us that don't actually follow like, like if it infringes on the constitution that becomes kind of obvious, but then there's state county and kind of local stuff, like local public health officials have zero authority to close a business down. They literally have no authority to do that. You know, other than they kind of do, but it's more like if you have food poisoning rampant or, you, you know, something like that. Yeah. But basically, there's been all this overreach of, of legal power. And so we need to really tackle things at a local level. And part of what we are talking about, you know, like we've been trying to change all these folks health, like like people need to get healthier. And so that's definitely something like take some vitamin D. Lose some weight and get metabolically healthy because you don't want to be in the sick care system, particularly under these circumstances. And then the next piece to this is we need people who, like, I'm reasonably adept at nutrition and and stuff like that. So I'm kind of a subject matter expert. We need these subject matter experts in common law. So that, and we need them everywhere. We need a hundred thousand of them so that when we need to go tackle city council, And the school board. We have someone who understands our legal system in a way that we could have 200 people suing the city council independently and just smash them. And, and this is the shit that we need to do. And it, it, and, you know, and then above and beyond that, like, I'm going to, I'm going to can it there. The other thing I was going to say, is going to get us in trouble. So I'll, I'll, I'll can it, (laughs) I'll can it there.
1: Oh my God, dude, dude. We're like neo-Nazi white supremacists right now. I can already <laughs> hear it. Uh, Rob Goodman, what's the call to action, man?
3: You know what? I think I, I kind of described mine and just keep uh, moving, pushing towards nuggets of that, you know, let that be your position and let it be heard, but do it in a intelligent way in an informed way and let people know that you're not going to be intimidated, but you don't, you know, do it, you know, violently unless that's, ultimately called upon, and we obviously hope it'll never come to that. but uh, you know I've, I've heard rumblings about uh, another trucker convoy in the United States beginning on March the 5th. I don't know if that's 100% true and accurate, but it sounds like they're already starting to converge and start a, a point A and move towards that point B and do the same thing and you know, I fully support that. Uh, 100%. and if that means a shortage of food and a shortage of supplies and goods you know being uh, delivered to where they need to go, then I'll prepare for that and uh, hunker down and do what I need to do, which uh, that is also a contribution to the cause by saying, you guys go, you you make this impact, I will prepare my family and my neighbors and, and, and the people that I associate with, and we will unite and talk through this so we can feel good about what we're doing for our family and then allow you to comfortably operate and push forward to you know, inciting change. And it's a, it's a simple answer, but uh, I think once again, we need to, all of these worker ants need to come together and be ready to push some serious weight.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
2: Rob Wolf, what does liberty look like to you? Being able to just, God, what does liberty look like to me? <laughs> I want a better than a pithy answer. Um...
3: I'm here for the pithy answers.
2: I don't know how to describe it, but I know it when I see it. How about that?
1: (laughs) Rock and roll, Rob Goodwin.
3: What does the liberal look like to you, brother? Uh, God. Wow. How can such a simple question be so difficult to answer? Um, You know, I always said uh, nothing's going to change until we adopt and subscribe to the idea of less government lower taxes and more personal freedom and that personal freedom is you know it's a very big umbrella that we can operate under and it just needs to be as as long as you're not doing harm to other individuals you should be able to operate accordingly any way you see foot you know it's like uh simple things like i don't agree with helmet laws on motorcycles i ride a motorcycle i choose to wear a helmet because i'm not a fucking idiot but I don't think anybody should be forced to. Nobody should be forced to put on a seatbelt. I choose to put one on because I'm not a fucking idiot. But nobody should be forced to do so. So that's just a, a very simple analogy uh, that that everything. That's that's the lens that everything needs to be looked at through. So, and I said it earlier. I've narrowed down my political stance as a freedom advocate. You know, plain and simple.
1: Cool. Cool. Uh, Rob Wolf, last question. What does health look like to you?
2: Being able to do whatever you want to do under the the circumstances that work for you.
1: Cool. Rob Goodwin, what does health look like to
3: you? 100% being to operate at peak efficiently based on the lifestyle that you want to live and are currently living. And, uh, you know, some of the things I'm proud of, even though You know, we can all agree and disagree, and have our own ideology about what nutrition looks like, and what training looks like, and what recovery looks like. But uh, you know, I think Rob—if I'm wrong, I'm not stalking you—but I think he just turned 50. Yep. yep. Yeah. I'm 53. I was hoping Sean would be here because he'd be the old guy at 54. (laughs) Uh, But uh, you know, um, I've—I'm on no pharmaceuticals, zero, and I never have been. In fact. I know at the back of the Walgreens, there's like glass with people in lab coats doing shit back there, but I've never been back that far to know exactly what they're doing. So, and I'm proud of that ignorance. And uh, my goal is to keep furthering that and be the most vibrant, healthy individual that I can be and and not subservient to this corrupt uh, factory, medical, pharmaceutical conglomerate that we're uh, being oppressed by.
1: Nice, beautiful um i lied i got one more question rob wolf where can everybody find you and what do you got going on cool
2: uh robwolf.com and then in theory i may be on joe rogan here in a week or two so we'll by the time this airs we'll we'll see so i it unless some other the last time i was supposed to go on the snowpocalypse hit hit texas so you you I've learned to not really say that much until shit's done, but in theory I'll be on Rogan. So that, that should be good. We're going to be talking more like sacred cow, regenerative ag type stuff. So yeah.
1: Nice. Awesome, man. Rob Goodwin. What's up, man.
2: Oh, uh,
3: robgoodwin.com. All the shit is there. And, um, just, uh, go to your favorite, uh, podcast medium and look for ketogenic bodybuilding podcast. And, uh, we're having a great time with that. And, uh, I would love at some point to get together with Rob and I had this entire, you know, you know, dissertation prepared on how he was one of the three people way, way back in the early 2000s that springboard me into the ancestral mm-hmm. health uh, world and then I kind of took that and as we talked about in the interview that we had solo I my goal was to figure out how you can take the hardcore bodybuilding lifestyle and ideology and combine that and make it work, uh, under a more uh, animal based or ancestral style diet. And, and we've done well with that. So, uh, I definitely, uh, at some point would love to have a discussion with Rob, who's one of my mentors. And now uh, hopefully I can call you a peer and, uh, discuss that marriage of the two. Uh, because I think, uh, my listeners and uh, people in the Facebook group would be blown away by it. And, uh, you know, it, it, it would really be uh, uh, the true cherry on top of the sundae for me, for everything that I've been through developing this little niche that I'm involved in over the last, gosh,
2: 12, 13 years. Awesome. Sounds like a podcast date that needs to happen.
3: Yes. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, I'll be, I'll be in touch, brother. I'd love to have you on my show and I'd love to, uh, have us both back on this
2: one. I'm a shameless whore. I will bring down property values anywhere. People are (laughs) foolish enough to let me in. So I'll do it. Nice.
1: On On that, we agree. Absolutely. Well, um, this is probably one of my favorite shows I've ever done. You guys are freaking incredible. Um, maybe we'll do it again sometime. And uh, I'm looking forward to your episode with Rogan. Rob, I always keep up on your stuff as well. So uh, hey, tell until- Joe I'm a, tell Joe I'm available.
2: Okay. Okay.
1: My cell number, I'll get that to you.
2: But, I, I will uh, let you know, him
3: know. A guy that likes, uh, <laughs> he's a guy that likes to eat meat and train his ass off. So we have that. Uh, so uh, you put in a Perfect. good word for me.
0: I will do it.
1: <laughs> nice. All right, guys. Thanks.